Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. What is your decision, God says to every man. What is your choice, God says to every person, because God has crowned each man with the sovereignty of choice. Sovereignty of choice. God hates fatalism, because when it comes to man making his decision, God says each one makes his own decision. Each one determines his destiny. Each one determines where he will spend eternity. Receive and come by the way that God has made. Come by the blood-sprinkled path. Come and put your trust and faith in God's Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in the blood that he shed when he said, uh, the blood is given to you to make an atonement for sin. Life of the flesh is in the blood in Leviticus 17, 11. Come that way, heaven, life, eternity, saved, happiness. Reject it. Hell, death, misery, torment, torture, consciousness, memories that don't go away. So, but God says, you make the choice. I've said it before you as a choice, now you choose. This is the same way with Moses in the sense here that Moses has now been commissioned and given the responsibility to bring the Jewish people out, and so it's now Moses' choice to either accept or reject the responsibility that God has called him to. And as a matter of fact, as we're going to read here, Moses did not, did not at first accept the responsibility that God called them to. We get that right in the next verse, right after God called them to. In verse 11, Moses said unto God, Who am I? Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And there's an argument that starts and it goes on for too many verses. It's difficult to read, but Moses says he can't speak, et cetera, et cetera. And, and Moses finally does accept it, but along the way, he unfortunately... For better or for worse, he gets strapped with his brother Aaron to be a spokesman. But finally, with some difficulty, finally Moses accepts the responsibility that God has called him to. We're going to come to that. Now, why have I done all this? Why have I described all this only to Moses and the choice that was made? And Moses at first rejects, and then he says, why did I do it? I mean, I didn't have to do this when we go through this, this passage. Here we can just keep on going to the next verse. But I did it for a reason. And the reason why I did this is because that whole picture of what we just covered here, only to Moses, God makes the choice, Moses rejects, Moses finally accepts, that whole picture of what happened to Moses is a picture of the Jewish people. Moses is a type of Israel. Moses is a type of the Jewish people. Moses is a parable 
in his life of the Jewish people, or Moses is, as Paul described himself, a pattern that the Jewish people follow. When Paul described himself, he said, you know, I first was vehemently against, and I persecuted the church, and, and I persecuted the Lord Jesus Christ, and I, was, and I was blasphemous, and I was injurious, and then I was broken, then I was saved, and then I became an apostle to the Gentiles. Paul said at one point, he said, look at me, look at me, I'm a pattern for the Jewish people that'll follow thereafter. They're in this stage, in this chapter, like I was in that stage, in that chapter. They're coming to the next chapter, like I came to that chapter, broken. Broken on the way to do wrong things, the road to Damascus. Broken, broken with two questions. Who are you, Lord? Who are you, God? God, who are you? Response comes back to, I'm Jesus. God is Jesus? I'm your servant, what will you have me to do? That's that chapter. Jewish people are coming to that chapter. Then, the great spreader of the gospel to the world, Paul, to the Gentiles, starting churches left and right all over Asia Minor. That's going to be also the future for the Jewish people. So, this is the picture we have of the Jewish people. Now, Paul asks about the Jewish people a very interesting question, and it's found in Romans 3.1, and if you turn, Romans 3.1. Paul raises a question because he asked this question in Romans 3.1, what advantage then hath the Jew? That's an important word that Paul's used there, advantage. What is the advantage? What is the privilege? What is the benefit? What is the unique privilege? What is the singular benefit of being a Jew? What advantage do the Jewish people have? What advantage does the Jew have or the Jewish people? What is the unique privilege that the Jewish people have? What is the singular benefit that the Jewish people have? What is it? <laughs> is it that they have, you know, so many Nobel Prize winners or, you know, Leonard Bernstein or Albert Einstein and all the Steins and everything? Well, what is it? The answer is that compared to all other people, there is great advantage that the Jews have. And the answer to the question of Paul's question, what advantage then hath the Jew, is crystallized when we look at Moses here in Exodus trying to bring out because we can ask the same question about Moses. What advantage then hath Moses? What advantage or unique privilege or singular benefit did Moses have? We just saw only to Moses he had the advantage of seeing, to, of seeing God. Only to Moses he had the advantage of having God bring him close into his confidence. Only to Moses had the advantage of having God bear wide open his heart. Only to Moses had the advantage of having God revealed what was really troubling him at his core. Only to Moses he had the advantage of having God revealed that he had come down already to deliver the Jewish people. Only to Moses had the advantage of God revealed to him that he was going to bring Israel into the land of Canaan flowing with milk and honey. So when Paul asks the question in Romans 3.1, what advantage then hath the Jew? It says, or what profit is there of circumcision, that's an interesting word, what profit, it's a Greek word that means what heaped up benefit, what heaped up benefit is there of circumcision, in other words, of the Jews. Paul immediately answers the question, immediately answers the question in the next verse, in Romans 3, 2, where he says, much every way, much every way, 
chiefly, he starts off chiefly. Now when it comes to chiefly, it's the word proton, which means in Greek, in the first place. Chiefly, or in the first place, first place, top of the list, without question, Paul says, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Unto them were committed the oracles of God. Paul says that compared to other people on the earth, there are so many advantages that the Jew has compared to other people. There are so many unique benefits that the Jew has compared to other people. There are so many singular privileges that the Jew has compared to other people. But this verse says that even though there are so many, and it's a long list, there's one item that's at the top of the list, and it's called the oracles of God were committed to them. The oracles of God. That's interesting. The oracles of God. What's he talking about, the oracles of God? He's talking about the words of God, the word of God, the Bible. We don't use that term today, the oracles of God when we want to refer to the Bible. We just say the Bible. The Bible's a great term. There's nothing wrong with the word Bible. Bible, Biblos, it comes from, means book. It's good, it's okay. It's another wrong with calling it the book. It is the book. But the word oracles, to refer to the Bible, emphasizes. It's a very important aspect. Because oracles is like what you said, what you're saying. So in other words, when you say it's the oracles of God, it's what God said. And by using the word oracles, is like calling the Bible these are the sayings of God. These are the words of God. These are the sayings of God. This is what God said. Constantly read in the Old Testament, thus saith the Lord in the Old Testament. Thus saith the Lord. That's what it means, the oracles of God. It's a great term because it's when you say the oracles of God, it's saying that this book is what God said. These are the recorded testimony of God. It's just like this book is like the work of a court reporter. Okay, you picture a court reporter. Court reporter goes up into heaven and he takes down, and she takes down, excuse me, woman, she takes down God's testimony and then she emerges from heaven with what God said. Her work product, from having been in the presence of God, when her court reporting, her work product are the oracles of God. That's what the Bible is, and that's why the term oracles of God, to refer to the Bible, is such a wonderful term, because it brings home the idea that the words in this book, the words in the Bible, came right from the lips of God. Right from the lips of God. It came right out of the mouth of God. Right out of the mouth of God. There is a link between these words and the mouth of God. There's a link between these words and the lips of God. There's a link there. And this link, and there's the importance of this link, the importance of this link is emphasized to us, and Moses emphasizes to us in Deuteronomy 8.3. And these are very important words, so important that the Lord Jesus Christ used these words in his battle against Satan in the wilderness, and one of the three temptations that he went through there. In Deuteronomy 8.3, it says this. Moses is talking to the Jewish people, and he says, and he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, the mouth of the Lord, doth man live. Oh, these are wonderful things here. What Moses is saying here is he's saying, 
You know that experience when you, you know, you were taken by God and you came to the bitter waters, Mara, and then, you know, you got hungry out there in the wilderness and you came to me, I come to you and says, hey, where's my food? Oh, right, come on, you know, don't I, I normally eat this for breakfast, this for lunch, this for dinner, here's my menu, where's my food? Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said? He says, your heavenly Father knows that you have need of those things. You don't have to present a menu to him. He knows you have need of those things. He knoweth, your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. But you know what else? Your heavenly Father knoweth what you also need, and you don't know that. So when it says there that he humbled thee, that means your heavenly Father knew you needed to be humbled. And when it says in there that he suffered thee to hunger, he knew you were hungry. Your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. He knew you had need of these things, but he knew that you need to have need of that. He knew you needed to hunger. He suffered you to hunger. You needed to hunger. Why? Because then, he says, when you're in the wilderness, it's not by the sweat of your brow, or as he put it, planting with your feet or your toes, and that's how they used to do it in Egypt. They used to use their toes and kind of make furrows and drop the seed in there. Not that way. Not by feeding cattle. Not that way. He says, instead, you had to look up into the place, the most unlikely place where you would ever expect food to come from, the sky. And every day it came from there. And he said, your heavenly Father knew that you had need to understand that he would feed you with manna, mana. What's that? That's what it means, literally. What is that? <laughs> he says, you had need to understand that your heavenly Father would feed you with something that you would look at and say, what's that? How can that be food? And he says, which thou knewest not. You had no idea where it came from. Neither did thy fathers know. They had no idea where it came from. Why? Because it was all a great lesson. It was all a tremendous lesson. And the tremendous lesson was, and he said so, that he might make thee know that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. See, the lesson. So he's saying, you take this book, the oracles of God, you take this book and you read this book and your life inside, your spiritual life inside will live and you'll say, I didn't know how that can happen, how print on a page can come and make me alive spiritually inside, which thou knewest not. Well, did you know how the manna came down? No. Did you look at the manna and say, what is that? Yes. You look at the Bible and say, what is that? How can that feed me? How can this feed me? Yes. Where did that come from? Where did this come from? See, all the lesson that's coming along here. Your fathers didn't know. You don't know. But God is feeding you with the manna that's coming down. God is feeding you with the words that proceed from his mouth. The oracles of God. That's why the term's so great. The oracles of God. Man cannot really live on bread only, or on bread alone. But man can only live by every word, he says, every word, every jot, every tittle, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. It doesn't say here that the Jewish people 
cannot live by bread alone, but that the Jewish people can only live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. It doesn't say that. Moses didn't say that. God didn't say that. It says that every man, every red-blooded man, every man, any man, cannot really live inside by bread alone. But every man and any man can only live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, the oracles of God, the Bible. That's why the title for the Bible as the oracles of God is so important. Because when it says the oracles of God, it's really just drawing it right out of Deuteronomy 8.3 here. Just pulling it right out when it says here, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's talking about the Bible. And so that's why we love this term, the oracles of God. Nothing wrong with calling the Bible the Bible. It means book. But the oracles of God, and it emphasizes that it's the only book. Okay. But the oracles of God emphasize the Deuteronomy 8.3 title of the Bible, every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So this is the book that contains the word of God, the words of God. It's right from the mouth of God. This book contains the words that all men must have to have real life. This book contains the words, the life-giving words, the words that will give life to all and any man on earth, Jew or non-Jew. Man cannot live without the words of this book. Man cannot live without the words of God. The words of God are recorded in this book by the many court reporters that God had called Moses and Isaiah and Ezekiel and David and etc. And Romans 3, 2 says that at the top of the list of the advantages that the Jew has is unto them were committed the oracles of God. God has only one Bible. God has only one oracles of God. And those oracles of God, or that Bible, those oracles of God, are the only words that man can find to have life from. Picture a person underwater. He's underwater. He needs a source of air. He's drowning. He needs a source of air. Another person comes down with a scuba tank. That's the only source of air. And that source of air obviously represents life. And that person needs it so much. That picture in your mind, that's the oracles of God. The oracles of God are the scuba tank. It's the only air source that represents life for every man. God gave those oracles of God to only the Jewish people. God gave the only scuba tank to only the Jewish people. God gave the only source of life to only the Jewish people. And being the only people to receive from God, the oracles of God was a great advantage to the Jewish people. That's why Paul said, what advantage then hath the Jew and what profit is there of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because unto them were committed the oracles of God. Being the only people to receive from God, the oracles of God was a great singular benefit for the Jewish people compared to all the other people of the world. Being the only people to receive from God, the oracles of God was a great unique privilege for the Jewish people compared to all the other peoples of the world. They were first, they were the first to themselves to receive the oracles of God. They were, right away, when they got the oracles of God, they were to use the oracles of God to give life to themselves. Breathe from the scuba tank yourself. You're gonna be no good 
to help anybody else if you drown with a scuba tank in your hand. He says, so breathe from it. Get life yourself. The diver with the scuba tank had to first breathe the air himself because otherwise he couldn't do any good for anybody else. And speaking of bringing air to anyone else, now comes that all-important word that's used in Romans 3, 2, which is the word much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. That word committed is so important. That word committed means that those oracles of God were on loan from God to the Jewish people. That word committed means that the Jewish people were responsible to God with what they did with those life-giving oracles of God. The oracles of God were given to the Jewish people for a purpose. That's why Moses was told all those things about God, because then it was the next person, come now, therefore, I'm going to send you to deliver them. Same with the oracles of God that were given to the Jewish people. He wanted to say to the Jewish people, come now, therefore, I'm going to send you to the peoples of the world with the oracles of God to give them, to teach them, to show them, to lead them into life. Because every man and any man only has life from every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord, doth man live. So the word committed means that God was holding the Jewish people responsible for what? To not bury the oracles of God and not use them for themselves, for their own life. They needed life, but they also needed life because other people were depending on them. That word committed means that God was holding the Jewish people responsible to not hoard the oracles of God for themselves and not give them to the world that's desperate, the world that is desperate in need of life, chiefly because unto them were committed the oracles of God. What other advantages did the Jewish people have? Romans 9, 1 through 5, Paul says it like this. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness, continual sorrow in my heart. I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now he describes them, who are Israelites. And now Paul, he's going to describe again the great benefits, the great privileges compared to the rest of the world that they had because they were Israelites. Who are Israelites? To whom pertaineth the adoption? Adoption. And the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came who is over all, God blessed forever, amen. Well, I can see here that our, our time's running out, but we'll continue with this in our next study together as we continue to see all the advantages that God gave to the Jewish people and the responsibilities that went along with those advantages and what happened, and we'll be able to parallel that with the life of Moses and how finally Moses got on the track, and finally we'll see how the Jewish people will get on the track after a, a painful few thousand years, but, you know, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for being such a great God, such a life-giving God, such a God who hates death, such a God who took on the grave and death yourself in a hand-to-hand -hand combat that resulted, Lord, in your, in your death on the cross. We thank you, precious Lord Jesus, that 
you were resurrected as God the Father held up your hand and said, the winner. And we thank you, Lord, for letting us follow in your victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 